podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Halfway through a bowl of pasta, so decent. Not bad. Not bad. Um, we're here today to, well, to fill time, really, because we're not going to do too much of an EFL preview. Liverpool do take on Leicester tonight in the EFL Cup, but we're not going to spend an entire hour talking about the EFL Cup. We should, however, address the game. Pep and Linders did the press conference yesterday, and he did indicate, Carol, that while some people might want to see this as an opportunity for lots of kids to play, he seemed to indicate we'd be going with a pretty strong team. Now, I assume it's a pretty strong team like the one that played against Lask, but maybe not even as strong as that team. Excuse me. Um, Yeah, I would agree, but mostly because I think there were more first teamers in that last or strongest first 11 in that last lineup than would normally be the case just because of injuries beforehand and the internationals and all that sort of thing. But I don't think people like Diaz, for example, would have started against Lask usually, but just because they didn't that previous weekend due to international travel and all the rest of it, maybe that sort of influenced what was going on. I do expect it to be the same group. Uh, which is involved, though, I think. Yeah. So, obviously, in that game, Virgil started, but Virgil had missed the previous two league games through suspension. Ibu started, but he was coming back off an injury, so they were looking to get him some minutes. But then Ibu didn't start at the weekend, so I do think he might start in this one. I think Joe Gomez will start again at right back. I thought he was the pick of the defence against West Ham. So would you be looking at something like Gomez, Ibu, Kwanzaa and Costas? Or do you think more likely Gomez, Ibu, Matip and Costas? Um, I think Costas an absolute lock. Uh, I think Kanate is as well. I think the other two are up for debate, to be honest. Um, A little bit, it might depend on how close Trent is for the weekend. Because if he's still touch and go to, to, to even be in the squad... I don't think Gomez plays. I think we just leave him out completely. But if he's, you know, almost ready for the bench and is definitely going to be back in the lineup at the weekend, or that's what they're thinking, then, you know, maybe Gomez is fine to start this game. I think I would be inclined to say Basetic right back in either mm. case. And then I'm say Gomez. Yeah. And then say Gomez centrally. And if he can't, or if he's, you know, like I said, if Trent's not going to be ready or not definitely going to be ready, then just play Gerald Kwanzaa. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I really I really want to see more of Stefan Besetic in this kind of right back hybrid role 
because I do think it's the best role in the squad for him. I think it's the one his skill set lends itself most to. So if we take that Kelleher and goal, Stefan Costas at left back, Kanate plus one, because like you said, that's a question over the weekend as well. And obviously if Ibu is starting tonight and Matip started the weekend and had a decent game, it might well be that Matip will start against Spurs. So would make sense to leave him out tonight then. Um, midfield then, I assume Wataru Endo will start as the Endo will start as the holding midfielder. Ryan Gravenberch will play one side of him. And then the question is who will start the other side of him. Now, the obvious choice is probably Harvey Elliott. And if it is Harvey Elliott, then I think that means Ben Doak starts on the right wing. But I would rather play a midfielder in that third midfield role and start Harvey off the right personally. I mean, I'm not really sure why there wouldn't be, you know, no particular issue starting Gravenberch right and Elliott left in the midfield too. Um, it, it, if if that's what Klopp wants to have in terms of personnel, obviously. I get that Elliott has mostly played that side, but like you say, it's a bit more about um, experience and just having the know-how in match situations. And when you've got Bastage Elliott Duck down the same flank, it, it does lack, let's be perfectly honest. Um, it is very, very under-23s or under-21s or whatever we're, we're at these days. Um, I think if you just let Elliot sort of be the other side, put Gravenberch that side, you kind of have the same balance, but you just have a little bit more um, mature understanding, let's say. And Gravenberch obviously has shown his ability to run in from that channel plenty of times already. And we've seen him be able to get into the box to really, really good effect. But also, I suppose we can note, uh, as I spoke about on Raw, that we saw quite a lot of changing between Jones and Sobelsley, um, especially in the first half between who was right channel, who was left channel. So mm. if that's something that we do see again here, then maybe it just sorts itself out according to the match situation. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Uh, it's it's a shame. Like, it's such a shame Thiago's not fit because Gravenberch, Endo, Thiago as a three would be a nice balance. And then you would have Harvey on the right of the front three, which is where I'd rather see him play than in midfield. But assuming it is Gravenberch, Endo and, and Harvey in, in whatever um, whatever lineup with, with the two eights, then is the front three Ben Doak and then Jota and Gakpo? Yeah, basically that, isn't it? It's It's the forward line seemed to have settled itself into a bit of a hierarchy of form at the minute, if not mm. preference. Um, so yes, I think that we've spoken at, at quite a bit of length about Jota and Gakpo and, you know, Jota's effectiveness can't be denied. He's he's doing good in terms of um, final third productivity, but overall performances are definitely not there. Overall mobility is definitely not there. Uh, and Gagpo obviously is sort of between the mitigating circumstances of the first couple of games of the season being out of place, and since they're not really doing too much. So I do think that they need to look at basically Darwin and his start to the season and being out of the team and the impact that he had, and he's won himself a spot in the side. 
And that's now obviously the challenge is over to them to do exactly the same. And that is where you want the squad to be, certainly in attacking players uh, where that's concerned because, you know, competition for places, the whole point of it is that they push each other and perform better and try to win back a spot. And that leads to obviously better on pitch displays in general. So it's over to them now almost. Um, Darwin, I think, has won his spot and now kept his spot. And only these two, by doing much, much better than they have so far, can change that. So in the last few days, Carl, I've noticed more and more people online talking about how they line up in the front three, specifically Gakpo and Jota, because it's quite clear the management team prefer Gakpo through the middle and Jota is just more effective through the middle than he is on the left because he doesn't have the the technical ability really to play on the left. Do you think it might work a bit better with Jota through the middle and Gakpo playing off the left, even if it's a narrow left-hand side? Yes, I do. I do think that would be better. I think Jota doesn't have the speed or the movement in general, to be honest, and certainly not the agility and you know work rate um not not the actual work rate but i mean the speed and the just non-stop energy at the minute that he did before the injury before what was a, a pretty serious calf injury let's remember um i don't think he's shown that in the slightest so i do think that certainly from an attacking perspective whether that's in attacking play or counter-attack and after defensive phases gagpo is the better option on the left-hand side now um the other thing I would say that you could do in a match like this is just flip it slightly. I know it would mean Ben Dark doesn't get a start, but you could play a diamond and just play both of them as split strikers. Yeah. Uh, it probably also solves the Harvey Elliott issue that we're talking about. Um, you know, obviously another midfielder to bring in there, whether that's Bazicic stepping forward or whether you play one of the regular starters and just switch them at half time or whatever it is. I think there are enough options here. Um, and maybe that's more of an in-game switch than a starting one because Bendo probably does deserve some more involvement as well. Um, but, you know, we've we've got enough options there. So moving on to Leicester then, uh, they've just announced a contract extension for Hamza Chowdhury. His contract was due to expire in 2024. He has extended until 2027, having spent last season out on loan at Watford and being linked to a lot of championship and lower level Premier League clubs over the last two seasons, he's decided to commit his future. Now they've started the season really well. They sit top of the championship. Seven wins and one defeat from their eight games. Wins over Coventry, Huddersfield, Cardiff, Rotherham, Southampton, Norwich and Bristol. They're only Defeat coming at home to Hull. Enzo Maraska obviously taking over in the summer. Uh, Brendan Rodgers was fired, and rightly so, in April. Dean Smith took over. It was a very strange job for him to take at the time. Maraska is an interesting character. Obviously, a bit of a journeyman player, super talented, but never really found the right fit for himself. And Sevilla is probably the club he's best known for his tenure at. Um, he's been an assistant manager at Ascoli, at Sevilla, at West Ham, I believe under Slavin Bilic. Then he joined City and he worked in their academy. He got the Parma job. 
The Parma job did not go well. He was fired after 14 games. He went back to City to be Pep's lead assistant. And now he's gotten this opportunity. So it's another one from that kind of Guardiola umbrella getting an opportunity. Um, The club were very, very active in the summer, as was expected. We saw a lot of players leaving. Harvey Barnes, James Madison, Timothy Castanier, probably the three most notable sales. Also lost Yuri Thielemans, Kagler Sionchu, Ayosi Perez, uh, Johnny Evans and Daniel Amarty on free transfers and loaned out Bubakari uh, Samari and surprisingly Luke Thomas. In Cummings, they spent about 10 million on Harry Winks. They signed Tom Cannon from Everton. That's a signing I do like. They signed Connor Cody from Wolves. They signed Stefan Mavadidi from Montpellier. Mats Hermanson from Bronby was brought in to be the new goalkeeper. Yunus Akun arrived on loan. Cesare Caicedo arrived on loan. Callum Doyle arrived on loan. And Isahaku Fatua. Fatuwu? I don't know. He, he arrived on loan anyway. But the player that stood out to me because he's gotten four goals for them this season already, is one that was there already. It's Casey McAteer, an academy graduate who's knocked in four goals in five league games and has looked very, very impressive. And there's a couple of players in this squad, most notably Kiernan Dewsbury Hall, who are just far too good for the championship. So they do represent a bit of a test for us because there's still a lot of Premier League players there. James Justin has worked his way back to fitness. Your favourite centre-back, Woot Faze, is there. Um, Harry Winks, obviously, is a proven Premier League operator. Jamie Vardy, Kelechi Iannaccio, Ricardo Pereira. Uh, Yannick Vestergaard is getting a lot of game time, which is concerning. Wilf Ndidi is still there. There's, there's a lot of... I don't want to say good players because I've named some that I don't think are particularly good, but there's a lot of Premier League proven players in the squad. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters all provided with fast worldwide shipping we have something for every red we also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches as a listener to this podcast you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10 just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index yeah, I mean, you started that whole segment saying Premier League proven players, and then went on to root face. I mean, your favourite centre back. You, I mean, you can't you can't contradict yourself like that, mate. Not not when that man playing. was our player of the month in January. <laughs> he was our top scorer for most of twenty twenty three, wasn't he? <laughs> um, look, I mean, Leicester last season were diabolical, but they were diabolical like <clears throat> excuse me from before last season kicked off. Their last their summer last year was a joke. They didn't get doing things until way too late. You know, the coaching and everything, the, the the squad never looked right. It wasn't balanced. The signings they did make were terrible. 
obviously they've had a, an element of reset this summer, which was needed. But I think if you look at someone like Leeds and how quickly Leicester have started versus the struggles that Leeds had this year after going down, I think you can say Leicester have done really well, actually, considering the number of people they have got out the door and the amount of money that they got for them. Again, in contrast to Leeds, who you know really didn't and probably could have compared it, comparing quality between the two teams. Mm. Um, so, yes, it should be a test for us. How much of a test... I think in large part will depend on obviously how much Leicester rotates as well. Um, you know, if you've got people like Dewsbury Hall that you mentioned, um, Yannick Vestergaard, I know you don't like him, but he is basically a starter for them and yeah. an every game player. So are they going to play him again in this or are they going to be like, look, ultimately we're not going to win the League Cup. So we're going to just go full tilt to, to try and win the championship and get back up. If so, those players might not play, you know, and if, if even if, they are decent players or decent squad players or whatever. If you're taking out, you know, let's say a Vestergaard or a Kieran Dewsbury Duis- Hall or whatever, and you bring in, I don't know, let's just look through the squad and see who else is going to come in. Is it going to be Ham- Hans Chowdhury going back in at centre-back, as we saw? Is it going to be Mark Albrighton suddenly coming in for another game on the wing? I mean, I- I'm not going to be too concerned if that's the case. Um, they've got a lot of players who obviously have not been first-teamers yet, but could be. Uh, Cesare Cassidy being one of them. I think he's only made one start for them this season. Mm. Um, and one of them, you mentioned there, Abdul Fattah, who that's the one we were linked with right before we went to Sporting. Yeah. There was a suggestion that we had a, a a buy option for him and that Sporting were buying him so that we could buy him more easily or something like that. Obviously never happened. I don't honestly know that I've seen him play a full 90 minutes in his career, so it might be interesting to keep an eye on him as well. Yeah, he's definitely, I think, one to watch. Um, yeah, I mean, look, their their nominal lineup in the league has been Hermanson in goal, Pereira at right back, Callum Doyle playing left back. Now he's more suited to centre back, but Pereira bombs forward down one side, and the the other three become a three. Um, Woodface and Vestergaard as a centre back pairing. Now, any team with pace really should give that duo some serious problems this year but thus far it hasn't been an issue for them um in midfield it's winks it's ndd and it's jewsbury hall which is a premier league caliber midfield without question and then in attack it's been since he's established himself it's been casey mcateer one side it's been uh mavididi the other side and then vardy through the middle kind of rotating with Ian Acho. So, it, like, it's a pretty strong team, but like you said, the, the, their focus it has got to be promotion. This EFL Cup is not something they're going to win. They don't have any possibility to win this. Well, they have a, a very small possibility to win the competition, but being real, realistic, they have no real chance to win this competition. So it might make sense to change the team up. Now, if we look back at um, what they did in the previous round when they faced Tranmere, they went with Storlesic in goal, a back three of Justin Woodface and Callum Doyle. Harry Winks and Hamza Chowdhury played as a double pivot in front of them. Then they played Albright and Kaysedai 
Dewsbury Hall and Mavadidi and then Vardy up front. So very much a Pep Guardiola from last season type of shape, but a very attack-minded shape. I don't think there's any chance they'll do that in this game. They played uh, a 3-4-2-1 in the previous round when they beat Burton. Again, Justin Faze and Doyle as a back three, Albrighton and Mark Hall as wingbacks, Winks and Chowdhury in, in, in midfield. And then in one of the stranger things I've ever seen, Wilf and Didi kind of played an attacking midfield role, which was really strange, uh, along with Dennis Pryat and then Ian Acho up front. I'm assuming they will make a lot of changes. And if they get beaten, they're not going to be too upset because, like we said, the focus has got to be the league. So if Stolosic is the is the backup goalkeeper, I'm assuming he's the cup goalkeeper. He's the one that will start. I assume James Justin will start. I don't know what the situation is with Connor Cody. I assume he's been out injured, which is why he hasn't played a single minute this year. So I don't think, unless he's 100%, I don't think he'll be put back in for this one. Um, Harry Suter also hasn't played a single minute this year. And considering Rodgers spent a significant sum of money to get him, that doesn't bode well. I wonder, will he just go with Justin Faze and Doyle because they have been playing together and maybe use them as either a back three and play actual wingbacks or use them as three quarters of a, of a back four. And maybe he just, maybe he just plays Vestergaard and, and Pereira is the only one of the back four that actually gets a rest with Justin coming in for him. Do you think it matters? Like, do you genuinely think whatever Leicester do, there's anything that they can do other than hope that Liverpool's squad is lacking cohesion like it was against Lask, uh, like some of the players just underperform because they don't care? Like, is there anything genuinely that Leicester should trouble us with? No. If it's the lineup that we suggested for Liverpool? No. Liverpool, the only way Leicester advances is if Liverpool lose this game, if Liverpool actively lose this game. And by that, I mean if Liverpool just perform really, really poorly and allow Leicester to win this game. Leicester don't come in and win this game. That's just not going to happen. The the gulf is is too much. Like the, the Liverpool team we laid out earlier, I mean, Kelleher's, I would suggest, a better goalkeeper than any of the goalkeepers at their club. I would take James Justin as a backup right back for us. I would have him over Besetic. I'd have him as a right back over Gomez. Though the injury problems he's had are, are obviously concerning. But our depth centre backs are better than their starting centre backs. I think Costas is better than any left back they have at the club. Largely because they had two really good young left backs and let both of them leave on loan in one of the stranger things I've seen all summer. Um, they do have talent in midfield. And if they did play Kieran and Dewsbury Hall, Kaysedi and Ndidi, let's just say they played that three. I think that's a better three than what we put, what we will put out. Like I would, as a midfielder, I would say Kaysedi is a better player than Harvey Elliott. Ndidi is better than Endo. And Dewsbury Hall at this point in their careers is a better player than Ryan Gravenberch. So they would have an advantage in midfield, but our depth depth attack 
even if Doak is one of the three, Jota and Gakpo are good enough that our depth attack is better than anything they can put out. So if we're better in both boxes, even if they have an advantage in midfield, I don't think it makes much difference. And I don't think their midfield will be that strong. I think Hamza Chowdhury starts instead of Ndidi. And I think him and Endo is a bit of a a bit of an even battle, to be fair. He's a bit more dynamic, a bit got a bit more on his legs. Um Dennis Pryat might start as the third midfielder. Ryan Gravenberch, better player than him. So they'd have Kaisei, but we'd have Endo and and Gravenberch. So I think the midfield would be a better wash there as well. So I don't see any way that, that they're coming in, especially given, considering the games at Anfield. If it was down at the King Power with their crowd behind them, you might give them a puncher's chance, but I, I, I don't even give them that. Unless, again, unless we actively lose this game for ourselves. All right, so let's not spend too much more on it, but just a quick um, who you are looking for to put in the biggest performances or to show different stuff to what we've seen so far from Liverpool and where you think we'll win it. I want to see more from, from Stefan. I thought his game against Lask was it was decent, about six, a bit of six out of ten. Um, I think it's a big opportunity for Gravenberch. I think it's a really big opportunity for him. I think he has to make the most of these type of chances because for now, the starting midfield is is locked in. It's going to be Dominic. It's going to be Alexis. And Curtis, I think, has, has separated himself from the rest as that third starting option. Um, now, again, I would rather see him play as the six and Alexis play as an eight, but it's it's irrelevant. I think that that is the starting midfield. So Gravenberch is going to start in the Europa League. He'll start in the domestic cups and he'll get sub-appearances and rotation appearances in the league. And I think he just needs to continue to work hard, play as well as he possibly can, build up some momentum, build up his confidence, continue to develop and get better. And maybe in the back half of the season, then he can start to make a real claim for a bigger role in the league. And a prediction? Um, well, we win every game 3-1, so I'll go 3-1 to Liverpool. Is that just because, you know, I keep getting in there first and getting it right every yes, week? Yes, 100%. Every fucking yeah. week. You pick 3-1 when I'm going to pick 3-1, and then I have to pick 2-1 like a dickhead, and I end up getting it wrong, and you get it right. Okay. What's your um, as a result, you can't have I'll, 3-1. I'll, I'll go 2-1 then. There you go. <laughs> this will be the week we win 2-1 as well. Um, but no, look, it's a, it's a good opportunity for for lads to get a run out. It's, a, it's another start for Harvey, and I, I think he... He didn't look as good as a starter against Lask as he has in his appearances off the bench in the league. So this is a good opportunity for him. And it'll be a tough one because if he does play on the right of our midfield, there is a chance that Dewsbury Hall plays on the left of their midfield. And that's a that's a big step for Harvey. And actually, you, you mentioned earlier about Harvey playing on the on the left and the possibility of of that. And wouldn't Dewsbury Hall, as that 
he's he's a similar type of player to Harvey. He's a very technical player, a little bit taller than Harvey, but not quite as like Harvey's quite blocky in his build. He doesn't have like breakaway pace, which is the one knock on Harvey is that he doesn't have really good pace. But Dewsbury Hall has found a way to take what his strengths are and make them work in a midfield. Because when he came through the academy, he played in a wide role as well. And there was doubts over whether he would make the grade at Leicester because he didn't have exceptional pace. But he's worked himself into a, a really, really good central midfielder. And like, let's not forget, it was the 21-22 season before he got an opportunity at Leicester. He was 23 years of age in that season. So he's 22 starting, 23 midway through. So like Harvey's already well ahead of the curve, but do you think Jewsbury Hall is someone Harvey could look at as someone to maybe model a little bit of his game on and, and the things he's done to adapt to playing in a Premier League midfield, especially on that left-hand side where so often we see players want to play inverted so they can cut in on their good foot. But Dewsbury Hall really has excelled at playing as a lefty on the left side of a midfield. Yes, a bit. But I think Dewsbury Hall leans quite a bit into his physicality for that, um, you know, to be in a central area, which is obviously something Harvey simply cannot do. He's not big enough for that. So he, he can't make the most of, you know, one of his particular attributes on a physical level to then maximise his technical traits. So, yes, in terms of, uh, positional play work rates, um, making himself, you know, an indispensable option in terms of the battling qualities and all the rest of it. And also for the way that Dewsbury Hall has kept persevering when it didn't happen for him immediately because he was quite a late breakthrough uh, in, the, in age terms into the Leicester first team. Um, Harvey's obviously got a big start already. So even if he's still squad and fringe for another what, two years, he's still basically going to be around mm. the same time or ahead of Dewsbury Hall even still. Um, so I, I do think that there are aspects, let's say, where they can overlap in terms of progression or reinventing themselves a little bit. But ultimately, I, I, I don't think that Harvey Elliott would be a central option for most managers no. in the setup that we have. And it's quite important for him, for his long-term future, if he wants that to be at Liverpool you know, let's say three, four, five years down the line, that he does keep adding different things to his game. Otherwise, this role's just not going to be for him at this place. Agreed. Agreed. I was even thinking, you know, when we're talking, you mentioned the, the possibility, could Liverpool play a diamond in this game? And I was thinking, could we actually just play a midfield four and play Endo and Gravenberch as a double pivot, play Harvey off the right and play Ben Doak off the left, because even though Doak does prefer to play on the right, he is a right-footed winger, and it's a little bit unusual that we always play him on the right, considering over the last six years, we've always played with inverted wingers, and Doak would make more sense as a natural cover for Luis Diaz on the left than he does for Salah on the right, so... I wonder, is that something they might look at? Maybe to play Doak wide on the left at some point? Because he has played there for the academy. He did play there in Celtics Academy as well. So it it, it would maybe put both of them in, in positions that might suit them 
a little bit more than Har- than Harvey in a midfield and Doak on that right of a front three. Yeah, and I quite like Harvey in the uh, narrow in a four role. To be honest, mm. the sort of you know Valencia Villarreal sort of approach uh, tactically. I, I think the you know four across is more or less more not always likely, but certainly it has more similarities in build-up play to how we play at the minute when, you know, we got Trent and he tucks in and it's a box. It keeps that sort of same structure, but just adds fullbacks instead of an extra forward, obviously. Yeah. So I, I, I quite like it when we play that system, to be honest. I thought last year when we were, you know, chopping and changing formations every three games or so, I thought that that was the one we looked most solid in. Not necessarily the most exciting, not necessarily the best attacking play all the time, but definitely the most solid and definitely with some sustained build-up play in it. And of course, at the time, it let us play two centre-forwards when we really only had sort of one and sometimes a second one fit. So I, I, I quite like it when we go back to that system anyway, to be honest. Yeah, and I thought when we played that against City last year at Anfield, it was easily our best defensive display of the season. And I think it was easily Harvey Elliott's best display of the season as well. And that was with Milner behind him. So, you know, if it's if it's Besetic or if it's Gomez or if it's Trent, I think it can work even better in that that shape. And he'd have, obviously, you're not playing City tonight, you're playing Leicester, so he'd have a lot more license to get forward. Um, and I thought when he came on against Wolves and he played wide on the right, but with that freedom to cut in field, whether it was in a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1, I, I thought he excelled. I thought it was the best we've seen of Harvey um, this season. So, you know, I, I, it's just something that I, I, I thought of the other day with with Ben Doak. It's just unusual that we seem to be playing him always off the right. I'd, I'd like to see him get a run off the left because, as I mentioned earlier, the coaches prefer Gakbo through the middle. Jota, and, and he's probably better suited through the middle because he doesn't have that explosive burst which we like from our wingers. Jota doesn't have the technical level um, to play on the left. We do kind of have, in our, our five forward options, we have one right winger in Mo, one left winger in Diaz, and three number nines in Darwin, Cody, and Jota. And then we've got Ben Doak and Harvey Elliott who can play in those wide areas. And it might just make more sense if Harvey's the one who plays instead of Mo, but does the creative side of Mo's game rather than the goal-scoring side, and then Doak just makes more sense as the Diaz cover than he does on the other side. So we'll wait and see. Um, I wonder, will Jürgen give Pep and Linders kind of a bit more of the reins tonight? Because he's tended to do this a little bit in the League Cup to kind of take a step back and use it almost as a coaching opportunity for his coaches, where he gives them a bit more leeway, a bit more decision-making control. I wonder, might he do that tonight and let Linders experiment a little bit, considering the League Cup is the fourth of our four priorities? Yeah, probably so. Um, I don't doubt that, at least in the dressing room, that'll be the case. And quite often we see Linders' touchline anyway. Um might be instructive the first few minutes, let's say, because obviously you can only now have one of the coaches up at a time, whereas before, even if Linders was up, Klopp would probably be standing there anyway. Um, so this might be, you know, early doors, you might see which one is really 
managing, let's say, um, being the only one at the front of our technical area. Do you think that the decision to change the rule so that only one of the coaching staff can be in the technical area was specifically targeted at Jason Tindall? <laughs> um, I'm going to let Jürgen give the answer for that one. I think he had his say on it right at the start of the season. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jason Tendall, what a guy. What a guy. Wants to be the main character. Had his opportunity as the main character. It did not go well. Uh, was fired by Bournemouth having made it a hames of things. And then after he was sacked, Bournemouth ended up getting promoted. So, you know, you have that. Um, right. Uh, what did we want to do next? Oh, we have a question from Discord, I believe. We do. So I'm going to change it very, very slightly. Um, but basically, uh, YNWA Foodie asked us at the beginning of the month uh, a question about our academies. So he says that we can see Chelsea and Man City's academies in particular generate money for them like very regularly. We've spoken about Man City and the prices that they get for people, uh, even in the last what one, two transfer windows has been outrageous. So he says, by contrast, our academy is quite poor. So what changes would you make? He does also suggest if we're getting rid of uh, Alex, I assume Alex Inglethorpe, uh, who would you replace him with? But I don't think we should go too deeply into that unless you have someone specifically you know is elite academy director and you would like to see. But I think Alex Inglethorpe's done quite good work personally. Um, the aim is to produce talent and also make some profit. So we definitely don't sell as much as, let's say, Man City do from the academy. So I'd like to know, one, why you think that is, because quite a lot of their players haven't played a game when they're sold for seven figures. Uh, and also, as he says, what what changes would you make for that to be the case? Why do you think that we don't have that sort of um, academy production? Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. So I disagree. I don't think Alex Ingletorp has done a particularly good job. To be completely honest, I think he's been in that job for over a decade now. And, you know, when you look at the first team squad, Curtis and Trent are the two academy products. We we brought in, obviously, Besetic and Doak, and, and they've made that jump really quickly. But they were fast-tracked. That's, I think, a lot more on Linders and the development coaches that have taken him from the academy to work with the first team. Harvey, obviously, is another one, but we we bought him for four million or whatever, 
Uh, Gerald Kwanzaa would be the third um, really homegrown player. But, you know, when you hear comments like when Evan Ferguson spoke about how he came and visited Liverpool, now, he was quite polite about what he said in that, you know, you see a lot of lads at Liverpool that just don't end up making any headway. Um, when when he was coming over to, to visit different academies um, from Ireland, there was a lot of talk about him because he, he'd been hyped up for a while because he'd made the breakthrough at Bohemians very, very early. Um, he was 14 when he played his senior, first senior game in a friendly. So a lot of people were talking about him and there was a lot of coverage of it. And the word was, he wasn't at all impressed by our academy. He wasn't impressed by the direction. He wasn't impressed by the ambition. Alex Inglethorpe gave an interview a couple of months ago and I came away with the same feeling that I wasn't impressed at all by the ambition of the academy. Uh, Inglethorpe made it out as a real kind of small-time operation and seemed chuffed to himself about this. And it, this just didn't sit with me all that well because the academy can be a real vehicle to not only improve your team directly, but indirectly as well, which is what City and Chelsea have always done. Developing players to sell, to fund the first team, to make yourself self-sustaining. And if we want to be a self-sustaining club, that's something we should be doing. But, you know, over the last few years, we've had a few sales from the academy that have been pretty good. Obviously, the Camille Grabara one recently has worked out because there's been a sell-on clause. Um, The likes of Harry Wilson and Rian Brewster, players like that have worked out well for us. But, City and Chelsea are doing one or two of those sales every year. In City's case, often three of them every year. And yet we do one of them every two or three years. So for me, I I would very much like to see us um, increase the number of players in our academy substantially. I'd like to see us be more aggressive in how we recruit young players. We've gotten a two apparently very good ones in this summer. I think one from Leicester and one from Wolves. But the numbers is the issue. Like you look at Chelsea and there's a great book by uh, Ryan Baldy called the, the Dream, is it the Dream Factory? And it's about, um, I have it here somewhere. I'll never find it on that shelf. Um, it's about, how they run their academy and the setup they have and all these satellite academies they have, which increases the range from which they can recruit from. And it really is a a huge, huge operation. Um, And they bring in massive amounts of kids and they're not, Look, football's a cruel business, and and we seem to have taken this, you know, we don't want to offend anybody type of approach. So we don't want to tell you at 12 that you're not good enough for this club. Chelsea don't care. Chelsea's view is, if you're good enough, you're good enough, and if you're not, then you need to be somewhere else. We're not going to spend the resources on you. We 
we have a lot of players at our club in our academy that are never in our under 21 team that are never ever going to make our first team ever and if we get rid of them they're going to end up going to league 2 and non-league teams and that just doesn't happen at, at other clubs where the standard is set that much higher and there is somebody that I would love us to go and get now I don't think I don't know if he'd be up for the move but Jose Luis Vidigal is the academy director at Sporting and has been for the last decade or so. And he has done a phenomenal job reshaping that academy. And he's been a little bit unfortunate at times in that, I mean, Rafael Leao was one of his personal projects, for example. And then he managed to leave the club on a free, well, not on a free, his contract was terminated because of the attack at the training ground. He went on to Lille. I think Sporting made like eight or nine million on him. And when you see what he's become, if he'd stayed two or three more years with Sporting, he might have been a 50 or 60 million pound signing for them. You know, you look at the likes of Inacio. You look at the likes of Diamande, because he's also involved in the scouting of all players under 21. You look at Nuno Mendes. And what he's gone on to do, like their academy, there's a kid, Manuel Fernandez, his name, he's well worth the watch. He's a, he's another one that's just one of these projects that this guy has. And that's sporting who work on a much lower budget than we do. So there's people like him, there's people like Pedro Marquez at Benfica, and we know what their academy is like. Um, I, I just think there's there's too much of a comfort level at Liverpool, and you also, I mean, there was, there's that story that's come out quite recently about that kid that was just so poorly treated at the club, and like those type of stories do not reflect well on Alex Inglethorpe because he seemed to distance himself from it. You're the academy director; everything stops with you when it comes to the academy, everything. So you can't get praise for the one or two that work out and then distance yourself from certain other ones. So for me, one of the changes would be a lot more money getting pumped into it, the the opening of some satellite academies, the opening maybe of a couple of academies in other countries, a greater scouting network, and a more appropriate person at the top with greater ambition than Alex Inglethorpe. And before I I finish, um, I wouldn't be against the idea of like a two-step leadership group, a two-tier leadership group there where there's an academy director who oversees everything. And then there's like a, a technical director of the academy who actually runs the place. And the guy I initially wanted for the kind of the figurehead is the wrong word, but you know what I mean, was Stevie Gerrard. Because to me, Gerard's not a particularly good coach, and I, I, it bothers me seeing him managing in Saudi Arabia. But when I hear him talk about how academies should be run, I think he's got really good ideas. So if he was like putting in place the vision of the academy and being there on kind of you know as an inspirational figure. 
being there as part of the recruitment process because, you know, if we're going to challenge City for a kid or United for a kid, because we should be harnessing the same talent pool that they are. Like, if Gerard walks into the room and some random fella from United walks into the room or Darren Fletcher walks into the room or Nicky Butt, well, Nicky Butt's gone, but say it's Darren Fletcher, like, Gerard will have that kid's attention a lot more and can be used to sell the club and bring those players in. So if he ever does decide he wants to just, you know, knock the, the actual management on the head, I'd like to see Stevie involved in the academy. But, yeah, I mean, the the, the ones I go for, the, the two boys I mentioned from, from Sporting and Benfica. I guess uh, we have another uh, international break scouted to do then. And let you run riot over the uh, age groups. Yeah, I mean, look, it also just comes down to we, we, we've we've lost we've lost our ability to tell when it's time to sell a player. Like Nat Phillips, for example, should have been sold three years ago at the end of the twenty twenty one season, but he, he was kept on. You know, like players like they, these all stem from the academy. These type of players, like Reese Williams, another one. Like, why are these players still contracted to Liverpool Football Club? They're not going to make the first team on a regular basis. They're not good enough. And in the case of Reese, he's not going to bring in any real sum of money. You might get a million quid from next summer. Nat Phillips' value from where we thought we could, well, we could have got 10 million for him in 2021. Now, nobody's willing to offer us more than five. So he's out on loan again. And he'll come back next summer with one year left on his contract. And we're going to have to take the five or renew his deal. And he's 26. But like at Chelsea, at City, he's out the door at 21 because he's not making the grade. So you sell them for whatever you can get and you move on. And we just don't seem to do it well enough. I think we just need to be a lot more ruthless. Yeah, we've definitely not been doing the selling particularly well, especially over the last, I would say, two years, but arguably in certain cases before that as well. Um, Right, so I'm not at all sure. Guy, I have to jump in and tell us how long we've had in this podcast now because there were uh, electrical-based interruptions. But we wanted also to mention any players you've been specifically impressed with or any aspect of the team you've been specifically impressed with over our start to the season where we had six games in. So we we can obviously knock the, the obvious ones on the head. Mo has been really good. Dominic has been otherworldly. I think Diaz has been pretty good. Obviously, Darwin, once he got into the team, has shown his value. But I really, there's there's obviously an ongoing debate over this player, and I, I, I don't understand the purpose of this debate because Curtis Jones, to me, since coming into the team this season, has given us real balance in the team. And I know it's not showing up in the stats all that much, you know, in terms of goals, assists, key passes and things like that. But I think Curtis has quietly been excellent 
since coming into the team. And a lot of it is the, the Ginny Wijnaldum type of stuff where he's a connector. He's not there to do the final third stuff. If he can get on the end of a chance, that's great. But if he doesn't, he provides value elsewhere. But like, if you look at us on the ball and you just take a normal midfield three, you're going to have two creative players, nominally the eights, and one who's just there to recycle, nominally the six. We're doing it a different way where the two creative players, the two are getting on the ball more, are Dominic and Alexis, and Alexis is playing as a six, and Curtis is there just to recycle things and keep things moving along. He's on the ball playing as almost as a six, and then off the ball, he's digging in to help out with Alexis, help Alexis out. He's also pressing really well. He's, he's actually one of the best pressers in the squad. He's doing a lot of little things, even things like when we have the ball and Diaz moves narrow, he just shifts wide on the left. He might not receive the ball, but he's there for a purpose. He's there to ensure that if we get countered, there isn't an out ball down that side because he's able to check back in. We saw at times at the weekend where he was almost dropping in as the left-sided centre-back so that Andy Robertson could bomb on. And Curtis is just there nominally for on-the-ball purposes because he's comfortable playing in tight positions. But also, if we get countered, there's a body there. I think Curtis has been vital to how we've done over the last however many games it is since he came back in. And I don't understand why there seems to be a group of people who just want to disparage the kid because he hasn't gotten, you know, three goals and four assists so far this season. This is not a Henderson situation where, you know, what does he do for the team? What Curtis does for the team is actually very, very obvious. It's not made up like it was with the other fella. I think he's been quietly excellent and really important in this run. I think Andy Robertson's form has improved exponentially. Now, he he had a bit of a stinker against West Ham in the early stages because he kept collapsing the defensive line, but he's been a lot better going forward. Defensively, we've been stronger down that side. And all of that, I think, comes from Curtis. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Um, well, 
good. <laughs> you already know what I think about Curtis Jones. And to be perfectly honest, I, I don't even think it's been quiet. I think he's been absolutely excellent. And I mean, in terms of the numbers, okay, he hasn't got a goal or an assist yet this this uh, season. He's obviously in the team, in the way that we play at the moment. He is at best the sixth most offensive-minded player in the starting lineup. So I'm not really sure how much people want him to get into the box or how many uh, and seventh and seventh or eight if Trent and Robbo are both in the team. Yeah, I'm assuming one is going forward and one is 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 not. So you know, at best, that's where he is. But in terms of his Liverpool career so far, considering he is still a pretty young player, considering he's had so many injuries, considering he has obviously been in and out of the team as a young player trying to make the grade, he has better than a goal or an assist every five matches for Liverpool, which is pretty good from a midfield that has mm. habitually not really been a, an attacking-minded one. Certainly not over the last what, three years, should we say, at least, if not more than that. And one of those years can, can, contains a year where we were, as a team, garbage. No other word for it. Absolute rubbish. I would say so, two of those years we were well, garbage. At least two then, yeah. Um, so I, I don't really know, like I said, what people are expecting him to do this year, but I think Curtis Jones has been excellent. Absolutely superb. From- when I say quietly, though, I, I don't mean like it's not obvious because I, th- I do think it is obvious. I think you can just watch him and I think he's excellent. But I, I just mean it's it's really understated. Like, yes. like you said, everything is done economically, but everything exactly. is done very, very well. Exactly. Very, There's no very, flash very, very with diligent. him. No, he's not. He, does, he doesn't over-exuberant anything at all anymore. Like even like a step over or a change of direction is to get that space and then do what he does. And it is much you know more it, diligent now. Do you know what it is as well, Carl? Um, we've, we've been talking with Curtis for as long as we've been doing this podcast. He's a player of really high natural ability. Yeah. Like we saw him in the academy as a 10, as a left winger. He came into the first team. He was, you know, there was a, a good bit of flash to him. The little dinks and dunks, the little step overs, the drop of the shoulder, the body swerves. And it was all very exciting. He still does a lot of those things, but he does them in a much more fluid way now. But because the game comes quite easily to Curtis, because he's got a high level of technical ability and he's clearly a very intelligent player, because it comes so naturally to him, I think people just take it for granted. Like, Curtis picks the ball up, drops the shoulder, shifts left, beats a man, lays it off, and then takes up the next position. That's That in itself is hugely valuable, and it's very, very skillful. But people seem to want him to pick the ball up and go and beat three and four players. People seem to think, because he scored that goal against Everton all those years ago, that he should be doing that on a regular basis, that he should be letting fly every time he's 25 yards out, or he should be splitting the defence open, because we've seen him do it. So when he doesn't do it, some people get frustrated. But that's not the role he's been asked to do. Like, I don't think we're actually even getting the best of him by using him in this way. But I do think he's put in the work and he's shown the right attitude and mindset to excel in this role. Do I think he's a starter long-term? No, I don't. Because I think we need to bring in a a proper number six 
and play Alexis as an eight. But do I think that long-term having four number eights like Dominic, Alexis, Gravenberch and Curtis is a really, really fucking good thing for the club? Absolutely. If all goes well and we keep those lads fit, we don't need to touch that position, either of those eight positions, for the next five or six years. We don't even need to worry about them. Those positions are boxed off. And you've got Harvey as an option. And Besetic can play as is an eight. He's a defensive eight. He doesn't really fit the, the boxy thing, but he is an eight. And at the moment, we've got Thiago. So, like, we're loaded in that position. And I do, the other thing about it is, I think there's a level of frustration from people because Thiago's not available and Curtis is filling in, or in their view, filling in. They think, well, Curtis should be playing like Thiago plays. But nobody plays like Thiago plays. Curtis isn't asked to do the things Thiago does because that's just what Thiago does. You make allowances for him. He kind of plays outside the system. Curtis is playing within the system and the results are speaking for themselves. Leave the boy alone. The other side of it is there are some people who are out there just overhyping him. Now, by that I mean I've heard people say, well, if we buy a six, Alexis is taking a seat on the bench because you can't drop Curtis. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that side of it. I think Alexis will give you more in that number eight position than Curtis does, which is actually why I'd like to see with this trio, I'd like to see Curtis play as the six and Alexis play as an eight. Because even though Curtis wouldn't be as good as a six as he is as an eight, I think he'd be a better six than Alexis is. And I think Alexis is a better eight than Curtis is. But I think the guy has a very bright future at the club as an important squad member. And has just passed the 100 games mark for Liverpool, which is a pretty notable thing for, as Mm. we were talking about earlier, the academy graduates. There are not too many of them who have done that. So that is a really big thing. Um, He just needs to stay fit. He just needs to stay fit. Do you know what? And all his injuries have been odd. You watched the weekend game, yeah? Yes. So you see the part where he got injured in the first half and he smacked the ground like while he was sitting down getting some treatment. I think that that was that exact thing, that he thought he was injured and going to have to come off. Yeah. And it was because uh, it's another injury. I've just got back in the team. It's It was exactly that. As it happens, he was able to come back on, obviously. And straight away, straight after he came on, after that, what was it, 25 minutes before the ref realised he hadn't let him back on, um, what does he do? Run back makes the challenge, passes it out, and we go on the counter-attack. And this is what he's been doing for, well, a long, quite a long time now in football terms, months. Um, yeah, keeping him fit, I, I think, is is a very, very big part of our first half of the season. There's no point in saying he can or cannot do it for an entire season yet because he hasn't so far, because he hasn't been able to stay fit for that long so far. So if he stays fit for the first half of the season and plays as he is, I don't see him losing his place in the team. And obviously at that point then, into a new transfer window, into the new year. Then we start seeing how long can people keep their form for, their fitness for, what new signings do we make and all the rest of it. But between now and the end of the year, I see no reason why he can't stay as a first 11 player on a regular basis. So between the senior team and the under-21 team or under-23s it was when he was playing for them, 
Curtis has, has appearances. Now, they're not all starts. Some of them are sub-appearances where he's come on. He's 102 appearances in central midfield. He's 25 on the left of midfield. He's 22 as an attacking midfielder. 13 as a left winger. Four as the right-sided midfielder. Two at right back, one on the right wing, one at centre forward, and one as the defensive midfielder. Like, (laughs) James Milner, people wanked over him for playing a bunch of positions. James Milner couldn't play particularly well in any position. Curtis has excelled in multiple positions. Left wing, attacking midfield, left side of midfield. I think he's had some excellent games on the right side of midfield for us. And the fact that he can then fill in as a holding midfielder, as a right back, as a right winger, as a centre forward, for a spell of a game, even if it's only 25 minutes to dig you out of a hole and not look out of place. Like there's never been a game where Curtis has played in a position and you've thought, oh, I never want to see that again. Never. Like he's had the couple of cameos at right back. You didn't come away thinking, geez, Curtis got absolutely roasted there. Now, again, it was 10 minutes in a community shield and 20 minutes in a league game in the 2021 season when we were ravaged by injuries. But he didn't come away thinking, well, that was an absolute disaster. We've talked about Curtis before. Could you, this was two years ago maybe, could you mould him into that Bobby replacement? Now, the only game he's played in that role was in the UEFA Youth League. But... To my, to my memory, he played quite well in that role. But this guy can literally fill in wherever you need him to fill in and will give you everything he has to give you. And we know the technical level will always be there with him. There will be games where he's a little bit sloppy because that's just what happens with younger players. And he's still a young player. He's 22 years of age. But I, I just don't understand why people want to play down how good this guy has been, is, and can be. Again, I don't see him as a long-term starter for Liverpool, but as the in in a very strong five-man group of Dominic, defensive midfielder, Alexis, him and Gravenberch, I think he can be vital for us for the long haul. Now let's have one of the defensive players who have been in and out. Obviously, not the Virgil one, but Joe Gomez. The others, yeah. Joe Gomez. Um, we know how good Joe Gomez was before the injuries, before that horrendous knee injury. Joe Gomez has proven for us to be an excellent player, and the year we won the league. Him and Virgil were phenomenal together. But you're you're talking about a guy who's 26. He'll turn 27 in May. He missed 104 games to a cruciate ligament injury. He missed 47 games the following season to an Achilles tendon injury. He's had an ankle injury, which required surgery. That was 13 games total. Then he had another ankle injury that was 25 games. I believe that was when he got hurt away to Burnley in the title-winning season. 
Then he had the patella tendon tear, which cost him 39 games. And then he had a muscle injury last year. This fella, when he's been able to stay fit, has shown how good he is. And I think if not for that patella tendon injury, he'd started that season really well, if you remember, that 2021 season. And when Virgil went down, it was Fab and Joe was the the pairing we thought we'd, we'd go to. And then Joe got injured very quickly. But he started that season really well. And I do feel like he was on, having had a brilliant year the year before, he was on a trajectory to establish himself as guaranteed starter for England. And I think he would be roundly seen as England's best defensive player, if not for that injury. And a lot of people gave him a lot of shit because he did have some really poor games in 21-22 and then last season, particularly last season. But he also had some really good games. I mean, that, that Man City game I mentioned earlier, he played next to Virgil. And Haaland pulled on to him more than he pulled on to Virgil for obvious reasons. And Gomez put him in his pocket. Haaland didn't get a kick of the ball. And we've seen him raise his game against really good teams. The issue with Joe has always been a little bit about concentration. But 26 isn't old for a centre-back by any stretch. I mean, a lot of centre-backs don't really make their name until they're 22, 23. I still think Joe can be a really good player. I don't think he'll reach the level he was going to reach because he's had so many serious injuries. Like you're talking four major injuries already in his career, but I still think he can be really good. And I think he's had some really, really good games this season. And I thought against West Ham, I thought he was outstanding on and off the ball. Like his ability to people laud Matip for his ability to carry the ball out of defense. Joe Gomez does that better than Joe Matip does because Joe has that change of pace and can burst past people. Matip, it looks interesting because he's six, five and you don't normally see players like him and he's got a weird build and he's very lanky and whatever else. But Gomez, when he's on is, is a proper Rolls Royce for a player. And it's a shame that he's had the injuries he's had because, I mean, you see him play right back and he can lock down that channel and offer something on the ball. You see him play centre-back and he can do a bit of everything. The only knock on him would be his, his aerial win rate's not what we would like. But everything else, 1v1 defender, defending, covering defending, he is an outstanding cover cover defender. Like, go back to that title-winning season. There's multiple games early in that year where teams get a 3v2 versus Robbo and Virgil and manage to work it to that free player, and Joe just comes across and takes care of it. There's no issue. Trent always looked better with Gomez as the the right-side centre-back than he did with Matip because Matip doesn't have that pace to get out and help Trent. Gomez was almost like a cheat code there. If Trent got isolated 2v1 against fullback and winger, Gomez just came out and dealt with it. And it's just unfortunate that he's had the injuries, but I think he's had a good start to the season. I thought he was tremendous against West Ham. 
And I, I really wouldn't be against the idea of playing him right back in our next two league games. Because if they're going to have, if Spurs are going to have Youngman Son and Brighton are going to have Matoma, I really don't want to see Trent against Matoma. I really don't want to see that. So even if it means Trent has to start that game from the bench, even if he does come back and start against Spurs, I would much rather Gomez play right back against Brighton because I don't fancy Trent's chances against Matoma. But I would feel quite comfortable with Gomez out there against Matoma. What would it take for you to want or to see or to accept that uh, Gomez deserved to be starting at centre-back again? I... I mean, for me, for my money, we have two of the three best centre-backs in the league. Virgil is one, Diaz is two, and Ibu is three. And I know a lot of people get very excited about William Saliba because he's he looks the part, he's good on the ball. He's a flawed defensive player. And people get really excited about John Stones, who's very flawed defensively. And is highly regarded as a centre-back now because of his form as a holding midfielder, not as a centre-back. People wanted him put in the team of the year last year at centre-back, despite his good run from Mar- from February onwards coming in midfield. So those two, for me, are hugely overrated. Martinez is overrated. I would rather have Ibu than Romero because I think Ibu is a little bit calmer than Romero. Romero has a tendency to just let mistakes compound on top of each other. There's no one at Chelsea that I'd swap for them. There's no one at United. I love Botman. He'd be fourth on my list. He was the best defender in the league last year, but he'd be fourth on my list. But I think we've got two of the three best centre-backs in the league. So the only only way Joe gets an extended run for me is if Ibu's out for an extended period of time. But I would like to see us play Joe right back, Ibu centre back with Virgil, Robbo left back, Trent. If he's going to play in midfield, I'd like to see Trent play in a double pivot with Alexis as a duo and just see what it looks like with Dominic right side tucked in to give them a three and Diaz playing as a wide left winger and then Mo with Darwin as a front two. I would like to see us try that because I think Mo and Darwin have great chemistry together. Diaz is definitely more winger than wide forward. I think Dominic would absolutely dominate games in that inside right channel. You'd have a rock solid, rock solid, not so much on the left side, but if Robbo's not been asked to do as much, I think he can still be a really strong defensive presence there as long as he doesn't collapse the defensive line. But Gomez, Ibu, Virgil and Robbo, to me, is a really strong defence. You've got the best keeper maybe ever behind them. Certainly the best ever in the Premier League. And I do think then Alexis and Trent as a double pivot could be really interesting because you can almost let Trent play it as a box-to-box. Or like, There's no holding player there. But if you think back to the Bayern team that won the Champions League with elect with, with Thiago and Goretzka, putting Trent almost in that Goretzka-type role, but like Goretzka plus where he can also add the playmaking side, I'd be very interested to see just how that team would work in a couple of games. 
And only other thing I really wanted to ask was uh, to turn the conversation back to the start of the podcast and the Leicester match. Is there anyone who could go into the Leicester game reasonably expecting to be in the lineup, put in a big performance, and you think, yeah, you should start against Spurs at the weekend over the starting lineup from last weekend? Ibu would be the one. I think Ibu would be the only one. I think the front three stays the same. I don't think there's a re- real reason to change it. If Cody played left wing and really excelled in that role or, or left inside forward and really excelled, I, I wouldn't be against the idea of seeing Cody with Mo and Darwin. I, I, I'd like to see how that would look with Cody off the left, Darwin to the middle, Mo on the right. So he would be one. Ibu is the obvious one. I think the midfield right now is untouchable. I really do. So, yeah, Ibu over Joel, Cody potentially over Diaz, they'd be the two I'd look at. Don't Like, we know Costas could come in, he could score a hat-trick, he could have four, three or four assists, <laughs> he could be incredible. It doesn't matter. Andy Robertson is starting at left-back because it doesn't matter what Costas does, whether he's good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. It doesn't matter what Andy Robertson does, whether he's good, bad, or different. Andy Robertson's going to be in the team. So it doesn't really matter what Costas does. Virgil's untouchable. Ali's untouchable. Dominic is untouchable. I think the midfield is untouchable right now. Mo is untouchable. And for me, Darwin has to be an untouchable because he's just so good. He is just so good. And he, he makes us such a better team because, because he gives us that unpredictability. When Cody plays as the nine, I think we're a little bit too predictable. But when Darwin's there, like not even Darwin knows what he's going to do next. So how's anyone else meant to know? Um, so yeah, Ibu, Ibu and Gakpo would be the two for me. Would there be anybody for you? No, I think that it, it just Kanate and then um, basically the rest are fighting then to be first off the bench at the minute, I think. And that's that's not a bad thing, in my opinion. Um, you know, it wasn't one game and then straight in for Darwin. Um, probably can say the same for, you know, Matip and Gomez needed injuries to come in, but even then they didn't just stay and they went back out and then came back in again. So I think at the minute, mm. if you if you do perform well and then you're first in line to come off the bench and affect matches in the Premier League, then you can start showing, yeah, you can do it there. And there's the consistency starts to come back, confidence starts to come back. And then when you're handed your opportunity from the start, that's then when you have to take it. And at the moment, a couple of them have, a couple of them haven't. So hopefully we get another one or two try to push that tonight. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, And I should say, I'm not suggesting I want Diaz dropped because I think he's been good this season. I'd just just like to see how it would look because I I don't think we've seen that front three yet. Salah, Darwin and Gakpo. Maybe we did last year in a game, but I don't think we did. I don't no, think we I did. I think we saw I think we saw Darwin on the left and Cody through the middle with Mo on the right. I think we saw it that way, but I don't think we saw it the other way with Darwin through the middle and Cody on the left. But it's something to think about anyway. Right, we better leave it there because I think we've gone quite long, even with um Storm Agnes, I believe she's called, deciding to take my internet my uh, my electricity out for about eight seconds. Um so have you anything to plug before we go? Uh, so what we'll be looking at ahead of the weekend I will have a piece on 
Liverpool's midfield and Spurs midfield. Interesting. Interesting. Very impressed with Spurs midfield so far this season. Thought they thought they got comfortably the better of Arsenal's midfield at the weekend. And uh, news to James Madison has has escaped serious injury is is very good news for Spurs because he has started the season in tremendous form. Basuma and Papa Matarsar have been monstrous in that midfield. So, um, yeah, very much looking forward to that. Right. We will be back on Friday with a preview of that Spurs game. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.